The Unlikely Innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining. Hello, Mike. It's another episode of The Unlikely Innovators. How are you doing? Doing well, Steve. That's a very, uh, I feel, uh, you usually have a little bit more pizzazz at the outset. Well, let me tell you something. Uh, today, well, well, first, Mike, you and I deal with acronyms all the time. Yes. And uh, in fact, the Center for Smart Mining, the CSM, is an acronym in itself. It's a pretty easy uh, one, though. I'll it's, say. A, it's a pretty easy <laughs> one. One that a lot of our listeners and colleagues in the innovation ecosystem, especially the post-secondary ecosystem, are familiar with is CFI, Canada Foundation for Innovation. Um, and I think our guest today um, really shed light on all of the good things going on behind the acronym. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. So I think what Steve's alluding to is today our guest was Dr. Roseanne O'Reilly Runza, who is the president and CEO of CFI. And, you know, it's it's funny because Steve and I, when we started the podcast back in June of last year, we had, you know, had people in mind that we wanted to talk to. You know, we've had Mark Fortin from NSERC. You know, Roseanne was somebody who we had been targeting for a while with CFI. And it just so happened that you know, through the journey that we've been on, you know, we were mm-hmm. lucky enough to receive CFI funding recently to to get some recent infrastructure funds to help support the development of our future BV lab here at Cambrian. And by the time, you know, this, this request came through, uh, it was after we were able to talk about it. So I think it kind of worked out well. Obviously, if we would have had Roseanne on a little bit earlier, it still would have been embargoed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I think she still would have been able to offer some great insights, which she did on a lot of other research that's happening you know, across the province and across the country. Uh, she gave some great examples of the work at other colleges, some great researchers, I think, as well. I'm, I go to look up the, the quantum, the steampunk quantum physics now, because I think that uh, that's, she sounds like she'd be a great guest for the Unlikely Innovators. Absolutely. I used to walk past the Perimeter Institute when Tanya lived in Waterloo for a time. Tanya, of course, my, my wife. Um, and it's a fantastic looking building, and you just wonder what's going on inside there. So that would be a great, like, I don't think she knew it, but she did suggest a really good guest for us to, uh, yeah. to follow up with. I just want to reflect briefly. Um, you know, oftentimes, you know, these the funding agencies are seen a bit as monolithic. And I think you could see that uh, uh, that Roseanne is is very passionate about what she does and takes mm-hmm. uh, uh, great care in remembering all of the different examples of innovation that they've touched around uh, the country. So. Uh, you could be, um, everyone can rest easy that the, the folks that are in charge of setting the innovation agenda in Canada uh, really care about this stuff. And you could tell uh, as we talk to her uh, throughout the interview. Well, on that note, let's just go right to uh, Dr. Rosanna Riley Rinta. So we're now pleased to be joined by Dr. Rosanna Riley Rinta. She is the fifth president and CEO of the Can. Canada Foundation for Innovation. Dr. Runt has previously served as president and vice chancellor at Carleton University, uh, president of l'Université Saint Anne, principal of Glennon College, president of Victoria University, and of Old Dominion University. She graduated with a BA uh, summa cum laude in French from the State University of New York and obtained her MA and PhD from the University of Kansas. She is the author of numerous scholarly works in the fields of French uh, comparative literature, economic, and cultural development. She's a creative writer, and she has received a poetry prize from the Académie Française. Dr. Renta has been awarded the Order of Canada, the French Order of Merit, fellowship in the uh, Royal Society of Canada, and is a commander of the Order of the Crown of the Kingdom of Belgium, an officer in the Order of the Academic Palms of uh, the French Republic, along with several prizes for her work on the environment and for community and national service. 
Uh, so you're you're far too qualified to be on our, our on our show, Roseanne. But we're very happy to have you join us now on the Unlikely Innovators. Oh my goodness! Um, uh, you know, you read so much there that you know sometimes uh, it makes me think that the only reason that it's long is that I lived this long. <laughs> <laughs> well. Yeah, and I think maybe we can get into some of those things because, again, I think just kind of reviewing a lot of those titles and those those mm-hmm. honors you've received, like you've definitely lived an accomplished life. And in one of the ways that we always like to start the podcast is it's called the Unlikely Innovators because you know Steve and I had unlikely career paths to get where we are now. You know, and in some respects, someone might look at your journey and say, you know, a, getting a PhD in French literature, leading Canada's preeminent research infrastructure funder and CFI right now might be a bit of an unlikely journey, but maybe it's not. And so maybe if you can kind of fill in some blanks in your own words about your journey uh, and how you got to where you are now. Sure, I'd be glad to do that. But I'm going to start a little bit with the CFI because Mm -hmm. um, the journey isn't perhaps quite as unlikely as it seems. Um, When the CFI was founded, um, it was founded to uh, stop the brain drain and keep the best professors in Canada. Um, by providing research infrastructure. And believe it or not, I was a professor in those days. And I looked at that and I thought, oh my goodness, well, it's really for people in science and medicine. And here I am a humanist. Um, I'm just gonna say it's wonderful because whatever we do for research and education in Canada is great, but it's probably not for me. Um, shows I was wrong, um, because one of the first grants they gave was to um, the Archaeological Museum at the University of British Columbia. And the CFI has always prided itself on being really cross-disciplinary and welcoming to people in all fields. And so, you know, just give you a couple examples of people who had humanist backgrounds that really succeeded well. And, uh, you know, there's Tanya Willard, uh, who is an artist. Uh, She's a professor at the UBC Okanagan, and she deals with the environment and with art, and she mixes the two together. Um, And then, you know, there's the Emily Carr College, where they they, they do art and technology. Um, uh, And then there's some really interesting people, like uh, I wrote the name down, Nicole Junger Halpern. Um, she graduated uh, with a master's degree from the Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, and um, where they do theoretical physics. And she was inspired by a Victorian novel. And she started a whole new field, uh, which she calls quantum steampunk. And it's the movement of energy through the lens of quantum information theory. And she got that by being a theoretical physicist who read Victorian novels. And I think that's really great. You know, mm-hmm. people in the arts can have really fantastic ideas. And in one time I was in Paris and I went to the Museum of Technology and I was looking at the exhibits and there I ran into Pascal. And I don't know if you remember in school, but uh, you know, when, when I was in high school, they told us about Pascal, was a great French philosopher of the 17th century. Hmm. Well, what is he doing in the Museum of Technology? Well, they, the sign underneath it says that he created the first computer. Um, 
actually it wasn't quite a computer. It looked more like a calculating machine. And he invented it because his brother was a tax collector and he couldn't count and it helped him figure this out. But think about it. The first computer came from somebody who was a real full qualified philosopher. So I think that some of the best ideas come from people who think just a little bit outside the box and who are not afraid to ask the questions that other people don't ask because they think they should know the answers already. So I think that the CFI is maybe not an unlikely destination. Um, maybe my, my journey was a little bit unusual and maybe it started in a, in a funny way, which was um, learning French. Um, so when I was a little kid, I was sent to a French school because um, they wouldn't take me in the English school. I was too young. And the French school, they didn't have enough students. So they said, oh, it doesn't matter how old she is, we'll take her. <laughs> and my mom said, good, we'll get her out of the house. <laughs> and so um, having learned French from the very beginning, I was able to do things like the Canadian Commission for UNESCO, be on the uh, executive of the Club of Rome, um, national and international projects that I would never have been able to do if I hadn't had that little asset that was, was there. Um, and then I, I also think that um, I got to travel a lot around the world and um, I, a lot of my travels were inspired by books I read. When I read about some place, I thought, oh, I've got to go there. You know, I read about Easter Island. I want to see Easter Island, the Galapagos Islands. I want to go to the Galapagos Islands. I want to go see all sorts of things. And each time I did, I was impressed by what people did. But I was impressed by the people that I met. And I learned from them. And I learned that they all think in a different way. And that if you want to do anything with your ideas, you have to be able to say them, not just how you're gonna understand them, but how the other person is going to understand them as well. So I really think that you know the, the, the bilingualism, the travel, and then this other little quirk that I have, which is that I, I know I am not perfect. And I'm never going to get to perfection, but I'm going to keep trying. And it's really hard uh, because every year I look at myself and I say, what can I improve? What books can I read? And I, I try and keep learning. And I think that is really great. But I, I'm going to admit right off, first of all, that every year more books are published. So mm -hmm. it's like I'll never have them all down. <laughs> and worse than that, the more I read, the more I realize that the ones I read 20 years ago, I'm starting to forget. Um, so, you know, I think that's sort of the human condition. We all try really hard, but, you know, and we have to, because that's the source of our happiness. It's the source of making things better in the world, but we all kind of know on those down days that maybe we'll never get there. Uh, perfection will always elude us and, and, and not be quite possible. But if we keep trying, I think that is really a, a source of keeping young, keeping with it, thinking new ideas. And 
in Saskatchewan at the lab in Vito. They are testing a vaccine against Alzheimer's. So someday we won't forget everything and it'll be really great. Yeah, you'll be able to remember all the all the books you've read throughout your life because you won't forget. I mean, you have a you have a pretty impressive library behind you. I think I have suffered from the same affliction where I'm constantly buying new books and then the stack of books I have to read just gets larger and larger. And for whatever reason, I pick out a book from that stack. It, it gets read. The other ones that have been ordered for months and months don't get read and they kind of get replaced. But, you know, one of the things I just wanted to share because I, I really I appreciate what you said and I agree with you about bilingualism being such an asset. Um, in my younger days, you know, being a defiant teenager, I didn't necessarily see the value in, in French, despite the fact that I was living in Timmins, Ontario, which is a predominantly Francophone community. Uh, and at that time, you only had to take French up to grade nine in Ontario. And so once I completed French, you know, by the skin of my teeth in grade nine, I said, I'm never taking French again. And then it turned out that I ended up living in Northern Ontario for the rest of my life, where being bilingual would have been an asset and opened the door for a lot of these or a lot of jobs that we have here. And I tried going back to French as a second language courses at Clege Boreal here and, and they helped, but they never really, they never stuck because I didn't practice it when I got home. And then it actually took, you know, me becoming a father to actually learn French because my wife is bilingual and, and we agreed that uh, our daughter's first language would be in French. And that's honestly been the best way to learn French just by, you know, and it's not a surprise, but being immersed in it and practicing it every day. Um, you know, so I, I would say, you know, Duolingo helps, but certainly I think having to try to parent in French uh, is, is the best way to, to get those skills. I really admire that. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Um, Thank you. The, the other thing that I think, some, and this is going to sound silly because um, I have been a professor, but I'm going to, pro, you know, pro, proclaim something non-academic is good. Going to French movies and listening to the French radio it's really great. Um, you, you, it's almost like subconscious learning. Um, you, it, it really helps. And it's really good to get the shorthand of the day, right? What's what's really uh, uh, what people are saying that uh, you may, you know, maybe 15 years ago you took a French course. Maybe that sort of slang has changed. I, I, I agree. French movies and French French books of the of the day are really important to do that. Mm -hmm. um, I want to pick up on something you said uh, just about CFI because I had the opportunity to talk to a colleague of mine at McMaster who was applying to CFI. And when I first started talking to her, I said, "You know, you're in social sciences. What do you what what could you possibly be applying for at CFI? Because people think about, you know, CFI as this you know engineering and science uh, infrastructure funder. But she was she's building out a social science laboratory, and I thought that was excellent. And I, you know, was was able to help her with a few things, but from that perspective of like social sciences and humanities, you know, Mike and I have talked about on our podcast over and over again, how it served us well, you know, in the innovation community and in the, in the innovation ecosystem. Um, from your perspective, you know, you talked about your background and, and, you know, from French comparative literature to, you know, economic and cultural development, how has your humanities sort of training been employed throughout that sort of post-academic now in the in the in the thick of the innovation ecosystem how, how do the how do you reconcile those two do you use those skills often actually um, on the one hand yes because what you learn is logic and um, ways of thinking and reasoning and you need that for everything um, you have a broader base than if you learned one 
uh, specific field. And that means that you can attack a problem from different ways. Um, I, when I went to Harvard Business School, I took one of the advanced finance courses for executives. Okay, so I'm the only one that doesn't have a, a, a business degree in there and they're presenting equations and, and so on. And you had to go home at night or you know, to the dorm room at night and, and figure them out. Well, I did. It, it, it took me a little while, but I did it all. And the next day I got the answers all right. And the professor put up on the blackboard the solution. I had the right answers, but I had used a totally different thought process to get there. <laughs> I didn't say anything, but I went up after class and I said, you know, I got the right answer, but look what I did. And he looked at it and he said, that's perfect. There's absolutely no problem. There's more than one way to attack a problem and get a solution. And we need that kind of thinking. And indeed, he wished that he had more people in his class that were thinking of different ways to get to the right answer. So that's, that's one part of it. Um, but I, I also think that um, when you are um, in a different field and looking at things in a different way, you may want to say, you know, is a lab what we want or is it an environment for, for research that we want? Um, we have to bring together chemicals to make the chemical reaction. Maybe we have to make a few collisions of brains. <laughs> um, when I went to CERN in Italy, um, I know it's actually in Switzerland, the big um, um, uh, synchrotron uh, there, they, um, you go in all the labs, it's all quiet, but at lunchtime, they all meet and you, you know, the place is just full of conversation and exchange of ideas. And I think that probably some of the best experiments come out of the meetings that they have at lunchtime. Um, so I think different ways of thinking, um, different approaches are good. And then there's nothing like having studied a little bit of history hmm. uh, because sometimes we tend to make the same mistakes over. <laughs> Could be avoidable. Uh, sometimes it's good to have a little bit of psychology to know how to express ideas. Mm -hmm. um, when I was in Virginia, we had a, a program in modeling and simulation. In Canada, they usually say sim simulation and visualization, but you build a model and it's cheaper to build a model, a three-dimensional model on a computer than it is to actually build a real thing. Mm -hmm. And then you can test it less, less expensively. But if you're gonna model a road, and you're gonna build this road and an engineer does it, they're going to pick the quickest way between the two points and perhaps the easiest way to um, you know, get around the, the mountaintop <laughs> without cutting through the mountain. And then, but if you put in, you add to it, a, a sociologist, they're going to think, well, why would people take that road? Where are they going? What would be the easiest way for them to get to their work, to drive their children to daycare, whatever has to be done? And you put in an environmentalist and they're going to say, well, wait a minute, this is going to kill these trees. You should go a little bit of in a different path. And so when you bring different fields together, you can get a bigger, richer um, idea of the future. And I think when we bring 
teams together. They, the ideas converge mm -hmm. and we will have better solutions for the future because we've sure seen in the past um, people that had great ideas, but they just won't work for that place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's 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 interesting because you know Steve and I are talking to you from you know from we're at Cambrian College today, and you know we obviously have our shops with our specialized equipment in them, but we also have a communal research space where we have desks for people to use. And one of the key things that one of our electric electronics engineer had requested was that you need a coffee machine in that room because that's where you know a lot of these collisions happen is 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 grabbing a a cup of coffee in the morning and kind of maybe talking through. You know, a problem you have. And I think even Steve, you know, our most recent hire, Czech, who's a software engineer, I think his words were actually innovation runs on caffeine. So I think the coffee's become even more important now. So yeah, for sure. And I mean, um, I just think uh I think what you're talking about is, is sort of illustrated in how engineering has started to borrow from some other fields like human factors engineering and how you see industrial design creeping in more, more focused on user than function. Right. And I think that's probably a net benefit. I think, I think we could do it a lot more. And I think uh, interdisciplinary teams like ours um, are starting to scratch at that, but uh, I think we could always uh, do more and more in that area. And what does your team do? Um, well, our team uh, specifically deals in product development and technology development for the mining sector. Mm -hmm. So we have a very specific use case and environment that we all, we design all of our uh, products and solutions for. Um, so our researchers, you know, they have a, a diverse background of skill sets, but you'll have to jam it into one sort of use case, which is a really interesting thing because you always have to think about, um, it's kind of like designing for the moon, you know, like if I need a new piece of technology, I can't go a thousand feet above ground to go get it if I forgot it that day, right? So uh, there's a whole host of, of, of interesting design parameters you have to think about when you're designing something uh, for what turns out to be a very remote setting underground. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad you're, you're thinking of that. <laughs> <laughs> Roseanne, one of the things I, I wanted to go back to CFI, because I know that we kind of talked about it at, at the opening, and I think you've, you've provided some great examples, and Steve as well, in terms of some of the the range of the activities at CFI funds from the research infrastructure that I think Steve and I have thought about more recently to, you know, social science lab that Steve was talking about, his colleague was trying to develop in McMaster, mm -hmm. um, you know, and so obviously there's a range of, of funding for, you know, hospitals, universities, and colleges. And I think we're obviously well in tune to CFI funding because it's, it's part of our job to seek it out and try to get that funding to support our research activities here mm -hmm. at Cambrian. But maybe can you talk a little about CFI more broadly and how it fits into the research landscape? Because I feel when you're in the sector and you're in the space, you know NSERC, you know SHRC, you know CFI, you know all of these funders. But if you're not part of the, the research ecosystem in Canada, these are just acronyms. And, you know, the regular everyday person, you know, doesn't necessarily know what it means, but they often will, you know, see the benefits of, of these funded projects down road, right? So. Right. So, well, there are three research councils. Uh, SHRC, which is the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council, and they fund grants to individuals and teams to do research in the humanities and social sciences. Uh, NSERC, which is Natural Sciences and Engineering Research Council, and they fund the same thing, grants for um, research in natural science and engineering. And they also have business partners. So, so they do partnership grants, like I think they're called alliance grants with mm -hmm. companies. 
And then there's CIHR, which is the Canadian Institutes for Health Research, and they fund research projects in medicine and health. Um, and then there's the CFI. And we consider ourselves the base, the foundation of it all. Now, you know, I think everybody else, they're the foundation, but um, in reality, if you want to do a research project or you're going to apply for a grant and it's a two-year grant and you're going to, then you're going to apply for your lab, well, it's going to take you a year or two to get your lab fixed. So you can't get, you can't do your research grant until you have the lab. Mm -hmm. So we consider ourselves fundamental and that, you know, first you get your, your lab and your, or the environment that you require, the equipment, the machines, so there, there are microscopes or synchrotrons or uh, computers. You, you get that equipment that you need to do your research project. And then you apply for the research project with the three councils. Now, what we do also is different because the, the three councils um, provide the money to the researcher to do the research project. We don't. Um, we provide the money to the college, Cambrian College, or to the university or the hospital, because um, somebody's got to take care of that in, that that machine. Um, and and you know, quite often it's a big piece of machinery that costs millions and millions of dollars, and an individual researcher can't be responsible for that and for hiring the person that's going to operate it. So it needs to belong to the institution because it's going to last a long time. Um, the other thing is that we only provide 40% of the cost. And so that means that um, the, the colleges and universities ask the provinces and industry and foundations and they themselves uh, kick in to get the rest of the money for the project. And I don't think it would be very good if every researcher who wanted uh, a piece of equipment were running around the country asking everybody for the money. First of all, they don't know necessarily how to go do that. Their time is better spent doing the research and you know, universities have a fundraising office that will go out and, and do that for the, the, the grants. So um, that's the, the way it, it works. Um, and um, we have changed recently in fact, the next competition for the colleges is different from the last. Um, and we listened to the colleges who said, we don't like to have the matching come only from industry. Um, we would like the matching to come from not-for-profit organizations and for, from you know, agencies in the community that would um, support more the social sciences kind of research than the necessarily the engineering kind of research. So this time the college innovation fund is just called the college fund and the matching can come from anyone. And I thought maybe if I gave you some examples of projects that kind of just caught my eye looking down the list, it would be fun. Um, so uh, uh, Camison College uh, out in BC, uh, did a project with a company called Ocean Rodeo. And um, this guy wanted to do um, uh, windsurfing, uh, they call it kite sailing, uh, and uh, on, you know, on water skis and, and um, together they developed uh, a, 
better equipment that is um, better to catch the wind and, and better controllable. And so now they're marketing it all around the world. Um, and then there's a Niagara College uh, that's working on um, wines. And uh, they, they're not only working on the science part of wine, which, um, you know, in Canada, sometimes we have a problem with frost that comes at the wrong time. Uh, so they, they actually have sensors all over in the community to find when the frost is going to hit. So then they can put um, mist of water up in the air, which will um, delay the frost. Um, and it's expensive to do that. So the growers want to know exactly when the temperature is going to be. So they do that. Um, but at the same time, they're doing the marketing. Um, and when I visited them, they, they actually have a mini um, liquor store. And um, uh, they have figured out by testing people whether you'll buy it if it's on the third shelf or the second shelf or the first shelf. And if you go from the left to the right, and what kind of label is the best kind of label that you can have. So um, that's really nice. And um, they, uh, George Brown is also working with food and food preservation and Mohawk College. Um, they, uh, a dentist in the area around Mohawk College came in and said, you know, Dental implants are really expensive and they're really painful. It takes a long time to heal. Um, my goal is to make them cost 50% of what they cost now and they, people will heal 50% faster. So the students at Mohawk College work with this dentist and they now have perfected it, patented, and it's on the market. Um, uh, you know, in uh, Trois-Rivières, Quebec, uh, they're working on um, sustainability and um, they, they take, they start with the garbage and they have this great big machine that sorts the garbage and then they take every bit of the garbage and make it into something useful. Um, and at the very end of the tour, if you go to visit, they offer you a plate. And uh, I, I said, well, that's nice. Uh, do I get to put some food on it? <laughs> <laughs> that actually no the plate is edible there are no we don't produce anything that, that gets thrown away so when you're finished you buy these plates and when you're finished you just eat the plate <laughs> <laughs> i guess you have to save room for the plate yeah. <laughs> no that's terrific um you're actually teeing me up uh roseanne very well because i think what you're showing is that um colleges play such a an interesting and different role, I think, in the research continuum than universities. And, and uh, allow me a chance, uh, this is a bit of shameless plug, of course, but we were recently uh, successful at Cambrian College in, a, in our very first CFI application and, and uh, positive result uh, to build out our battery electric vehicle testing lab. Mm -hmm. um, so we're really pumped uh, to be doing that. And, and I'm sure we'll have some interesting outcomes. I was going to ask you a a question about what you think the role of colleges are, but I think you've illustrated that in what you just discussed with us. So maybe what I'll do is instead is ask you, can you talk just a little bit about the different outcomes that you see from colleges versus sort of the traditional fundamental research we see at, at universities? Um, is it, what role do you think the colleges play from an outcome perspective in, in the community? Um, well, I, I think the 
it depends on the community because um, each community is doing something quite different. Um, and there are um, community colleges and SAGEPs that, for example, are working with um, along the St. Lawrence River with um, um, the, the wearing away of the shoreline and the fisheries and everything else. That really is the, the whole community is dependent on their location and it's saving the ecology and environment that they have, but it's also all of the industries and, and livelihood of people around there has always been related to the water. And so it is that. Now there are other areas where it's a little bit different, like um, in, um, uh, in Alberta, uh, where you know there's large spaces between um, towns and so on. Uh, so uh, some of the colleges are working on uh, ways that you provide distance medicine, um, distance services to distance community, distant communities. And that's something that is really essential for them. It has to do with their location, but it has to do with what's not in the location rather than what's in the location. Right. Um, I, uh, uh, Lambton College in uh, Sarnia, Ontario, um, Sarnia was quite industrial and um, there was a lot of pollution and pullback from uh, creating that chemical um, uh, pollution that was in the, in the community. And they, they've turned around to um, looking at technologies that will use and produce what they had, but do it in an environmentally friendly way. So they're changing the, the, they're providing a new way to achieve success without the um, difficulty that was being caused to the environment. So I think the colleges are very sensitive to their place and their community um, they are um, very closely linked to the environment and to the economy, to providing jobs. Um, when, um, when I have talked to professors at the community colleges um, and I ask them about their success, they tell me, you know, George got a job and Barry started a company and, and, and Peter's gone and he's off doing this and just, you know, and it's the success of the people there and that is the success of the community because that's how communities are built. Um, and I think sometimes it's like one good idea that didn't exist anywhere else that um, will make it. Um, we, there are um, people that come to Canada from other countries, immigrants. And um, there was a, I read a story in the paper about an immigrant who settled in North Bay. And he said, um, you know, uh, nobody ever had uh, spicy food from India before. And he served it to his friends and they liked it so much, he now is running an Indian restaurant. Now, we didn't teach him how to do that. There was no, no CFI grant, but it's, it's bringing that. And now he's got a successful business and maybe there'll be others that'll will be inspired by him. Yeah, actually, it's funny you say that because I, I, I think even especially at Cambrian, we have a large international student population, even one of our students from a chemical engineering program, um, but he, he developed a food business here as well, serving authentic Indian food on campus, um, you know, I think to, to, to cater to our, our large Indian student population. But again, it's, uh, it's been a welcome addition to the Sudbury landscape. And I think he actually also has 
I'm not sure if it's, I don't think it's the same student, but this same person also, I think, has a location at Canada or College of North Bay. So, uh, so interesting how you're able to kind of get these innovations when, you know, he came to Cameron to do chemical engineering, but he opened a business, you know, by the time he graduated in a completely different field. But I think that's the kind of, you have a, diff, a, a thought process one way, uh, but then ultimately it leads to all sorts of other interesting opportunities. Well, you know, you learn how to think, you learn how to be innovative, you learn how to use what's at hand, you learn how to communicate with others. You know, all of those things make it possible. Mm -hmm. uh, you learn the scientific processes because actually in my mind, cooking is fairly scientific, you know? Yeah. It's the chemical reaction that occurs when you uh, add baking soda to uh, um, some acidic thing like lemon juice. Mm -hmm. And um, just to just to kind of stick with CFI for one more question, you know, we, you know, I think obviously from the college perspective, I think uh, I speak for my colleagues when I think we welcome the changes with the college fund. I think it's a great, I think the name is great. Obviously it signifies exactly who it's for. And also the changes to the matching is, is also great. Um, but beyond that, in that particular change, are there any other, you know, CFI funding opportunities or initiatives coming up in the next little while that you can share you know, that would get our listeners excited, whether in the college space or the university space or the, or the, or the, or the research hospital space for that matter. So we'll, we're working with the tri-councils on a, on a great big project, which is a, the Bioscience Research um, Innovation Fund. And uh, the idea of the fund is, uh, the first part is to bring the laboratories across the country that are research laboratories that would do research into uh, pathogens and uh, uh, and viruses, so that we are we are ready the next time there is something. Hope, hope it never happens, but yeah. we're ready just in case. Um, and uh, then the second part of it is they're going to try and create three hubs or five hubs, a small number of hubs across the country that are linking the pure research to the applied research to the testing, to clinical trials, and to um, factories and industry and marketing and and so on. So that we 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 it's really quite exciting to build the whole ecosystem out and see how we can um, take the talents of Canadians in all fields and bring them together. So and that's something that the social sciences, the the, the engineers and, and and biological scientists and the med medical scientists are all working together with us as we we try and make sure that, that this happens. And that could be uh, when, when there ever something bad happens, I always try and think that there might be some good that comes out of it. And uh, maybe the good would be that we've all worked together and we've created a new ecosystem where Canada does something really great for the world. Well, we have done great things, but another great thing for the yeah. world. Yeah, um, and uh, I think, uh, sorry to just jump in, just I think it's incredible how fast that's coming. I mean. Usually when we see trends, you know, you know, as government people like Mike and I are, it's like you, you don't want it to be 10 years later. Right. So the fact that you're striking while the iron is hot, so to speak, is admirable. So that's great. Well, uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure. And actually, it was CFI that in a way started it. We can take little credit because the first summer of the pandemic, we realized that the labs weren't up to par. And we did a study of the labs to figure out what was needed. And when we presented that to the government, the government said, yes, this is exactly what we need to do. So we, we had a really smart government, but CFI sort of was a little beginner there. <laughs> <laughs> and 
Um, and it's a nice way for us to celebrate our 25th anniversary. Um, so what are we doing new? We, we, we have a, a, a new fund for the North that we're hoping to launch pretty soon because Northern institutions um, are just starting. They're, they're you know, like, like just newborn institutions and we need to provide a special competition for them so that they can start competing with the other institutions across the country. Um, we uh, are looking out across the country. We've, we've interviewed young people with Ipsos, Reed, and, and um, to find out what young people think is the future of science. And um, uh, do they understand what fake science is and are they influenced by it? Um, and we're also looking at uh, going across the country with, as we do our strategic plan and saying to people, all right, what is the next science of the future? Where do you see it? Um, where do you think we have strength? Where do you think that Canada could shine if it should shine? What, what do you think? And I can't wait to um, get the results of that and to go back and say to the world, look, this is what people want to do. And these are the areas that they believe and they know that we have strength. It's not us telling them, but it's them saying, we're inspired to do these things. That, that's great. And, and Roseanne, you've been so generous with your time, but before we let you go, you know, at the time that we're recording this conversation, it's, you know, the end of March and March, uh, as, as many of our listeners know, is Women's History Month. By the time this podcast comes out, we'll be in a different month, but it doesn't have to be March to celebrate uh, the, the role that women have played in history. And one of the things I wanted to ask you is because, you know, you've, you've been an inspiration. You're Carleton's first female president before you came to CFI. And now, you know, that you've been in your role at CFI, just wondering if maybe you could use this time to maybe talk about some inspiring women in the science and innovation space in Canada that, uh, that you look up to or that you think are, are great role models for, for girls and women looking to get into this space. Oh, what a, what a lovely question. And thank you for answering it because there are so many wonderful women and men, uh, uh, researchers right across the country uh, who inspire everyone every day. And we've got first woman Nobel laureate uh, that, that, that you know, we didn't have before. Um, but one of the things that I would notice note right off is the um, women's success, particularly in health field, um, particularly in the social sciences, and it's growing in engineering. Um, and that, that is really important because I think when women are succeeding in every field, each field will become stronger and, and better. Uh, so, you know, yes, we have Donna Strickland and yes, we have, um, well, I, I mentioned Ms. Halpern with her steampunk quantum te uh, technology, but the other part of the, 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 the chapeau that I'd like to take off and salute other people with this, the role that women have pay, played in enabling other women to do research. Um, if you look across the country, there are a lot of women vice president research and innovation. It is, you know, there were 10 years ago, there were none. And now there are a lot of them. And I see research and innovation growing in every institution across the country. But I would dare say that the presence of women as leaders in leading that field 
is really, really significant. And whether it's big universities like the University of British Columbia um, or McMaster University or Dalhousie University, we all have women uh, leaders in, in, um, the, in that field leading the science and innovation to colleges uh, and to the smallest institutions where uh, when I go visit, I, there is a warm welcome. There's somebody who is saying, I open the door to everybody, um, not just women, but to all students and to the community. And I think that's really important. Uh, so I'm really proud of all that women have done across the country. Um, I could give long lists of their you know, various inventions and so on, but really, I think it's moving the whole, you know, raising the level of water in this in the pond that is making all the boats float, um, and that's what's happening. And, and I think it's really, really exciting. I would I would have to agree with that. Our our senior leadership team here at Cambrian is 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 comprised of of, of three strong and inspirational women. Our VP of research uh, is Christine Morrissey, and so definitely see the impact there. And again, Paula Govea is our VP academic, and Alison De Luisa uh, is also on our senior leadership team as well. So again, I think I think that's a great point that you've got the researchers as well and the enablers who get, again you you have to have the team that makes it all happen and brings it all together. And I think is kind of the the guiding light for a lot of these groups. So. That's great. That's a great way to end it. It's a, you know, I know that the podcast won't come out in March, but like I said, I think that's, uh, those are, these are important women to remember uh, at any time of the year, right? So. Well, I, and you're right to do that because one of the things that I always say is that the United Nations has a day, you know, this is the day for teachers. This is the day for um, women or, or a week or a month. Um, and we should live in a world where every day, everyone is special and we are inclusive and appreciate their value. And when we do, we'll all be much richer. I can't think of a better way to end on such an inspirational high note. So we want to thank you again for joining us and really, uh, you know, we, we talked about a lot of really good topics and I think uh, uh, there's a lot of really interesting and exciting things to come at CFI and we look forward to following up with you uh, in the years and months to come. So thanks again so much for taking the time to be on the Unlikely Innovators today. Thank you. And I look forward to hearing more from Cabrian. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to we'll have to have you here at some point once we can show some progress of the, the battery electric vehicle lab. Absolutely. That was a great conversation with Roseanne. Um, I think also ended on a very positive, uplifting note. But I think one of the things that stuck out to me, and there's a lot of things, but I think the one and I wasn't expecting, I think the answer I think to have resonated with me that the way that it, it did was when I asked her about how does like, how does CFI fit within the research ecosystem in Canada? Right. And she described mm -hmm. what NSERC, what CIHR, what SHRC do, but I think, you know, and I've always, I guess, thought of it this way, but I don't think I've ever heard it like elucidated in that fashion was that CFI is, is like the foundation, the building blocks. Right. Because again, I, yep. I envision it through our lens, which is now through, our future BEV lab, which is being generously funded by CFI, uh, in part by CFI, is that that is enabling us to have the foundation that we need to do this test and performance work in with battery electric vehicles in heavy industry and in mining. And so getting the building blocks to do that will then enable us to go after those NSERC grants that will then 
you know, help feed activity through, help enable industry partners to utilize the lab. So I think, you know, I think we've always probably thought of it that way because I think it's part of our jobs to understand how all the funding agencies work together. But I think the way that she said it is a perfect example of how CFI complements uh, the other funders and, and vice versa, right? So CFI is the bedrock of the funding landscape in Canada. After all, it is the foundation. Oh, wow. You really, you really went there. I, I, you know what? Good for you. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't want to set a high bar for myself. I think I ended the last one with a witty quip, but um, no, it was great to, uh, to, to really unpack uh, to your point about uh, where everything fits in. And uh, there is no correct equation as to what comes first, you know, in, in a research program at a college or university, but uh, you know that that mixture there is uh is important and it's really good to get a clear view from her where where she thinks it fits so um i think our, our listeners will will get a lot out of that yeah and i think that's a great call back just to that analogy she had of you know trying to figure out the equation and learning that she did it a completely different way that's right. um, i think that's great i think that also kind of speaks to the research team we have here at cameron that we have a variety of perspectives we've got our engineering group we've got you know people like you and me who have the humanities background We've got the financial background. And again, I think it's so important to have that range of perspectives and skill sets because together we're able to tackle any problem that comes through. But if it was just the one train of thought, then you may not see it the way that somebody like an engineer would or somebody with a history degree might. So, yeah. so again, yeah, great it's conversation. Almost, it's almost like we're good. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a, that famous, that famous line that you've once said to one of our colleagues when she first joined our team was that I think, you know, we have the, uh, a reputation as our team is, is affable. We like to have a good time, but we also work really hard. And I think, you know, Steve introduced himself to one of our new colleagues, Teresa saying, but, but we're good at our jobs. And again, <laughs> you know, just to kind of reassure her that, you know, things weren't getting off the rails that, you know, we like to have a good time, but, uh, we well, but people don't well. know when you join a new organization, what, so in my defense, um, <laughs> when you start a new organization, you don't know if you're good or not. So what I was trying to do is convey to her that we're one of the good teams. <laughs> I know, but I feel like when you say that, she's probably like, why would he have to tell me that? Yeah, no, I, you know, it's what? become thought, a running joke because I now I, whenever I talk to Teresa, I'm always saying, we'll see, we're good, we're at, good our at our jobs. <laughs> yeah. And, and we'll get t-shirts with that on it. But you know what? In truth, what I was trying to channel uh, was Ron Burgundy when he said, to be honest with you, I'm kind of a big deal. People know me. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, and maybe that's, you know, Steve and I now have, uh, you can't see this if you're listening to it on, on audio, but we do have unlikely innovators mugs now. So maybe the next line is unlikely innovators good at our jobs and all of our guests are good at their jobs. And Absolutely. so maybe that's more than just a, a reassuring tagline for new employees. It's, it's for everybody. So yeah, great. thanks for joining us on the unlikely innovators. Keep being good at your jobs and we'll see you next week. Bye. The unlikely innovators with Mike Comito and Steve Gravel. Presented by Cambrian R&D and the Center for Smart Mining.